அஷதுவல்லாஹிலாஹல்லாஹ்தஹுலாஷரீகலவஷதுவன்முஹம்மதுன்அப்துஹூரசூல்ஹிமினஷயே பானிர்ஜீம் பிஸ்மில்லாஹிர்ரஹீம் ரிஜாலன் This is chapter 4, verse 1. O people, keep your duty to your Lord, who created you from a single being, and created its mate of the same kind, and spread from these two many men and women. And keep your duty to Allah by whom you demand Allah. one of another your rights and to the ties of relationship surely allah is surely allah is ever a watcher over you <coughs> the next verse is chapter 2 verse 177 <coughs> அன்தவல்லூஜூஹக்கும்ல்லாஹிவல்யோமில்ஹிரிவல்மலாக்கிவல்கிதாபிவன்பீன வாலாஹுபிஹிவில்குர்பாவல்யதாமாவல்மசாக்கீனவ்னசபீல்வசாஇலீனவஃபிர்கா வல்முஃபூனபிஹீம்ஹூனபிஹீனபாஸ் It's not righteousness that you turn your faces towards the east 
and the west but righteousness is the uh, but righteous is the one who believes in allah the last day and the angels the book and the prophets and gives away wealth out of love for him to the near of kin to the orphan the needy the wayfarer and to those who ask and to set slaves free keep up prayer keeps up prayer pays the poor rate and the performance and the performers of their pro- uh, promise when they make a promise and the patient in distress and affliction and in the time of conflict these are they who are truthful and these are they who keep their duty to allah next two verses i will just recite the english i'll just read the english translation chapter 4 verse 135 oh you believe be maintainers of justice bearers of witness for allah even though it be against your own selves or your parents or your near relatives whether he be rich or poor allah has a better right over them both so follow not your low desires lest you deviate and if you distort or turn away from truth surely allah surely allah is ever aware of what you do and uh, verse 8 of chapter 5 o you who believe be upright for allah bearers of witness with justice and let not hatred of a people incite you not to act equitably be just that is nearer to observance of duty and keep your duty to allah surely allah is aware of what you do i have uh, in this khutbah i am going to look at an aspect of english law which is called tort and uh, it deals with certain things that i will come to uh, later but i i'm addressing this because of lots of people say and there is great clamor in america and france and britain in particular is saying that uh, sharia is coming we should do something to avoid sharia and uh, pass some laws and and many other rumors and uh, statements are made in this regard and what i i have shown this uh, with the other aspects that uh, parts of uh, uh, islamic law or what the holy quran recommends the way we should deal with disputes and so on has already been implemented certainly in the uk uh, i don't know what the law in france or america is like but generally in these countries law is quite similar now we have two types of law criminal and civil and distinction is 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 simple uh, and today we are going to deal with civil law or part, just one small part of civil law civil law basically tends to regulate the disputes between individuals so uh, it could be uh, family inheritance and uh, all these kinds of things and this is basically the law based on your natural relationships you are someone's son you are someone's daughter you are someone's brother you are someone's husband or wife uh, and so on and that family law probate law Uh, etc deals with these uh, 
natural relationships that we have in life. But then you see what, happen, what happens if you ask someone to do something for you. There is no natural relationship. You call someone in and say, my lights are not working, my central heating is not working and he comes and he does work for you and you don't pay him. So where does law stand in that regard? And from that developed contract law, which says that if I ring a plumber and he comes to do the job and he says, yes, I'll do it for £10 or £1,000 or whatever it might be. Well, I offered him a job, he accepted it and in return I said, yes, okay, I'll pay you this. So there's offer, there's acceptance, there's consideration. And the important thing about consideration, of course, is the fact that uh, I come here and I deliver a Juma Khutbah and other people come here and do other things. Hamad gave the azan and although I offered him the opportunity to give the azan and he accepted that, there is no contract because there is no consideration. I didn't say to him, I'll give you five pounds if you give the azan. Perhaps with some of the younger members who are reluctant to give the azan, we should try that. You know, I'll give you ten pounds if you give the azan. But that, that, that deals with a separate uh, situation. <coughs> so basically what it tends to do is uh, take out voluntary work that you do from contract law. So the charities and churches, it was basically to protect the churches um, you know, from people who made unscrupulous claims. But what happened, you see, here a contract has created a relationship. So you have what's called a legal relationship. So you have natural relationships and you have legal relationships. Now, what happens that if you're driving down the road, you mount the pavement because you're driving carelessly, you're driving too fast or whatever, you mount the pavement and you, uh, you injure someone. Well, there's no legal relationship between the two. You know, he's a, a, a pedestrian, you're a driver, and this is what, what's called the law of tort, T-O-R-T, deals with. Comes from French meaning injury, and uh, I don't know why in all professions they're very keen on using Latin and, and uh, French and so on. I guess it keeps the mystery so we can charge extortionate amounts for doing simple things, you know. I mean, if say, they said, oh, you know, is to do with injury. Now, the question is when and how did this come about? In 1928, a certain Mrs. Donohue got on a train in Glasgow and went to Paisley. Uh, either she met a friend there or there was a friend already there. They went to a cafe and her friend ordered uh, uh, peaches and cream for herself and uh, ice cream and ginger beer for Mrs. Donohue. And uh, Mrs. Donoghue poured some of the uh, uh, ginger beer over her ice cream and ate it. And then she uh, uh, poured the rest of it and a decomposing dead snail came out of the bottle. The important thing about the bottle was that it was opaque, so you couldn't see what was in it. And Mrs. Donoghue, uh, who was a very poor person, 
proceeded to uh, sue the manufacturer, Mr. Stevenson, saying that he owed me a duty of care. But there was no such thing in English law at the time. You know, the only thing you had was the contract law, but the contract wasn't between Mrs. Donohue and the manufacturer. The contract was at most between Mrs. Donohue's friend and the manufacturer because her friend was the one who ordered or purchased this ice cream and, and, and uh, ginger beer. And um, she kept on losing, but it, it's remarkable that, you know, she had this tenacity. Uh, this happened in Scotland, so she went to all the sessions, uh, sessions courts, uh, etc. Kept on losing and the case ended up uh, in front of the House of Lords, where eventually on, uh, on, on, on 26th of May 1932, a 3-2 majority decision was given. And uh, the leading judgment was by Lord Aitkins. And he said this, the rule that you are to love your neighbour becomes in law, you must not injure your neighbour. And the lawyer's question, who is my neighbour, receives a restricted reply. You must take reasonable care to avoid acts or omissions which you can reasonably foresee would be likely to injure your neighbour. Who then in law is my neighbour? The answer seems to be the person or the persons who are so closely and directly affected by my act that I ought reasonably to have them in, in, in contemplation as being so affected when I am directing my mind to the acts or omissions which are called in question. So, when I drive along a, a, a road, my neighbour is that pedestrian. My neighbours are other drivers on that road. And I should have in mind that if I drive carelessly, if I drive too fast, the car might get out of control, I may not be able to stop. I may have an accident, I may run someone over. Now you see, this applies, this law of tort, I've, I've shown you how it started. But this then went on to apply to people's persons, like Mrs. Donohue, who was being injured, their property, this is where trespass comes from, that you cannot just go on someone's property, uh, and honour. But what did the Holy Prophet say in the light of the verses I've recited uh, about this? The Holy Prophet said, A Muslim is he from whose hand and tongue other Muslims are safe. And he further said that not only doing harm is wrong, but also reciprocating to take revenge is wrong. Now, you see, you can see, you can say, oh, you're just taking this, this uh, saying of the Holy Prophet, etc. But I took what Lord Aitken said in his judgment, and the whole of the law of tort developed on that judgment. What is duty of care? What's foreseeability? What's proximity? Who's a, who's a, who's a neighbor? What is negligence? All of these questions were then answered. In, in, in later uh, litigation. No one said, oh, you're just taking one paragraph from uh, a, a long judgment and, you know, creating a, a castle on that. Well, the same answer 
applies here. What did the Holy Prophet say? Because that wasn't the only ins uh, uh, instance in which the Holy Prophet said this. What did he say in his uh, fable sermon? He said, your blood, your properties, your honor are as sacred as the sacredness of this day of yours, in this city of yours and in this month of yours. Your honor, law of defamation. If you defame someone, if you go around spreading rumors against someone, then you will be sued. Your properties, law of trespass, tort of trespass, properties are sacred. And of course your blood, we've already dealt with Mrs. Donohue becoming ill and uh, running uh, uh, and the example I gave of my uh, running someone over. Now the interesting thing is that there are two differences between Islamic law of tort and British law of tort. And in fact Lord Aitkins referred to this and he gave a much broader definition and a part of that has been dropped which is a part of Islamic law. Because he said, directing mind, my mind to acts or omissions, there are two ways you can harm someone. You can actually run them over or you see someone run them over and you just ignore it. It's a de deserted road, the car coming the other way hits a pedestrian, knocks them down, you see it, you don't do anything to help that person. You don't want to be involved. And th this has actually happened. I was in Pakistan, I was in someone's car and we saw an accident. An old man was knocked over by a motorbike and my friend said, quick, let's get out of here. You know, I said, why? You know, that old man, we should help him. He said, no, 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 you don't want to get involved. And, 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 and uh, you see, and what the British law has done, it has recognized that acts can hurt people. But Islamic law says omissions also hurt people. And to a limited degree, British law agrees with Islamic law. If a mother doesn't feed her child, social services will come, take her to court, put her in prison and take the child away. Now, there's a debate about whether that is an act or an omission. It's the act of not doing something. Well, I would say it's an omission and not, not uh, an, an act. But Islam says, you see, if you read, the, if you look at the uh, verses that I read out to you, the first verse, in fact, the first verse is that I created you from a single being and spread everyone from them. So keep your duty to Allah by whom you demand one of another. Here there is no mention of Muslim or non-Muslim or Kafir or Sikh or whatever. This applies to all humans because you cannot have a law or legal structure without everyone being equal. And this is what I, surprises me that on the one hand we say in Islam everyone is equal before the law and we give this example that I think it was Hazrat Umar or Hazrat Ali, he bought a, a shield or, or something from someone and uh, the man was a Jew and he hadn't paid and Hazrat, uh, whichever one it was, Hazrat Umar or Ali, he claimed he had paid. The Jew went to court and 
the judge said, well, have you got any evidence? And Hazrat Umar said, no, I, Rasulullah said, no, I don't have any well, He said, I think he presented his son. And he said, no, sorry, I'm not going to accept a son's evidence in favor of his father. Now compare this with the fact that in Pakistan that you would not be able to bring a claim against a Muslim. It's unlawful. So we are actually making laws in Pakistan which are against Islamic law and Islamic tradition whereas these people are making laws which are in line with Islamic law and Islamic tradition. I mean Sharia is here as you have seen. Uh, the, the right to privacy, I, many times I've told you this incident about Hazrat Umar and so on, that everyone has an absolute right to privacy. The Quran says enter homes from front doors. Quran says knock three times on a door and if someone doesn't answer or even if they answer and say excuse me we are busy then just leave. What do we do? We go to someone's house, we knock on the door, no, one's no one answers, we start peeking through windows. We go around the side to see if someone is there. Our behavior, our everything is against that. But listen to the next verse. We help who? And why do we do it? Out of love for God, we help near of kin, orphans. Often, you see, the two are separated relatives, the natural and physical relationships that I talked about, and orphans. That could be anyone. It doesn't say Muslim orphans. And the needy and the wayfarer and those who ask and to set slaves free, uh, keeps, uh, uh, pays poor rate and uh, performs their promise. Now, helping the wayfarer. In that old man's case that I witnessed being hit by a motorbike, I would have been helping him if I had stayed there, called an ambulance, gave a witness statement. Why is it that we always just think in terms of money, give him 10 pounds or 100 rupees or whatever? Islamic law, the Holy Quran, is, is much broader and wider. And this is why I think it's called a miracle and people were challenged to bring the like of just one verse of the Holy Quran. Because I've noticed this. I, uh, 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 my brother's uh, mother-in-law used to look at a verse. She was a psychologist and she would bring a meaning to do with it from psychology. Hazrat Amir, Dr. Saida, uh, Dr. Abdul Karim uh, Said. He was here and he looked at certain verses and he looked at them from a medical point of view and gave excellent interpretation. I look at things and I get legal interpretations from that. And it's the same book and it may be the same verses. And this is the beauty of revelation of the Holy Quran and this is why no one can bring the, 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 the like of it. Uh, but the point is, it has to be interpreted. You, you cannot go back a thousand years or fifteen hundred years or whatever the number of years it is. But you can see that here, you've got to be proactive in helping people. The poor person doesn't have to come to you. You have to find the poor and help them. And it used to be a great thing in, uh, in, in certainly India and Pakistan and perhaps other places as well 
that uh, people would go to the mosque, they'll see a strange face and they'll immediately go to him. Are you a traveler? Have you eaten? And they'll bring him food, they'll bring him dinner uh, uh, and uh, lunch and so on and perhaps bedding as well. He would sleep in the mosque and mosques did not have any doors. Go to Bachai Mosque in Lahore, go to Jamia Masjid in New Delhi, go to Suleimania Mosque in, uh, in Istanbul, go to the Blue Mosque in, in, in... Do they have any doors? They didn't have any doors. If you go to uh, Dubai and places like that, even now you see people sleeping in the mosque. But all of that sadly had, has been lo lost. And mosques not only have doors, they have steel doors, they have uh, people guarding them with some machine guns and, and uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Now, British law would say to you, if someone comes to you and seeks help, <clears throat> and you're not feeding them or whatever it is, then that act will injure that people and make you responsible. Islamic law will say, you find people who are poor. For example, in Ramadan, your fasting is not accepted unless you make sure that people in your vicinity are all okay. They have fed. No one is starving or hungry. Islam makes it your duty. Islam makes it my duty, every Muslim's duty, to be proactive in seeking out those who, uh, who need help. I mean, I'd be you know, quite lucky because I live in an area where houses are far apart and hardly ever anyone goes there. And even when they do, they find it hard to, uh, to find the house. You know, I'll just say to God, well, no one ever came to me and said, you know, I'm hungry or whatever. So if they had, I would have fed them. As opposed to someone who lives in the East End or Slough or wherever, where, uh, you know, people are all living uh, uh, close, uh, close together. Um, <clears throat> and again, uh, uh, the, the the further verses, I noticed how the British law depends on these. Or you who believe, be maintainers of justice, bearers of witness for, uh, for Allah, even though it may be against your own selves, or your parents, or your near relatives. This is why you go to the court and you take an oath on whatever holy book you follow, that I will tell the truth. It doesn't matter who's harmed by that. And in the next verse that I recited, there's another concept uh, of British law that I'm not going to deal with today, but I'll just point to here. Or you who believe, be upright for Allah, bears of witness with justice, and let not hatred of a, pe of a people incite you not to act equitably. Now, equity is also a concept that has been taken by, by British law. Because what happened in, in the days of old? Uh, a court will give a decision and on paper in law it would be correct but morally it would be unfair. So because king was above the law people would petition the king and say look I know the law says this and this happened and I was convicted but it's not fair. So the king set up 
uh, a chancery court, as it used to be called. They're all combined into one now, where these sort of things w were uh, uh, decided. And there is actually a concept that when law has decided something, has it, was it equitable? And people say that, you know, anyone who comes to equity should come with clean hands. And that is that if you've done something wrong and you're convicted, you know, uh, don't go to court saying, I'm hard done by, this shouldn't have happened to me, because, you know, uh, you were also complicit or guilty or whatever. So, although Lord Aitkins didn't recite these uh, hadiths of the early prophet that you respect your brothers and their honour and their property and, and their lives and their health and so on, you can see from what he says in his judgment in that paragraph that uh, the rule that you love your neighbour which is what that verse of the Holy Quran is saying, that you look after a dext of kin, neighbours, orphans, becomes in law, you must not injure your neighbour and, 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 and so on. And then you m must have in mind acts or omissions which are called in question. He obviously, I'm not saying he'd read the Holy Quran and so on, but when the Holy Quran says, when Hazrat Masimaud says that a day will come, when people will come to these teachings, whether they accept him or the Messiah or not, or whether they say or not that they've taken it from the Holy mm. Quran, it will happen and they will do it and they are doing it. As an alternative to litigation, we have arbitration. The Quran says if there's a dispute between two brothers, set up conciliation and arbitration. In family law, you used to go to court for, uh, for a divorce. Now it is compulsory that before the court will accept your application, you've been to conciliation and arbitration. This is what Islamic law says. Before you divorce them, try do various things. And then the last one is try uh, conciliation and, and uh, arbitration. So people should see that actually implementing Sharia as parts of it have been implemented in the West. It's actually beneficial to every society, not just Muslims, regardless of whether you are Muslims or non-Muslims. I mean, the Holy Prophet himself was addressing a gathering of Muslims. This is why I use those words. But to every single person to, in every society, wherever you are, it's beneficial if you implement the principles of Sharia or Islamic law.